Good morning. Uh, welcome as we come to worship. Spring has sprung. There's a word of hope for us this morning that it won't return back again. Um, so welcome as we come um, to worship. Whether you're here for the first time in person or online, we bid you a warm welcome um, as we come with one purpose and one voice today, united in our praise and worship um, of our Saviour, of our Lord, and the one who transforms and changes lives today. Um, so let's just pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you that you are present in this place. Our invitation, our welcome for you to be here is not our lack of faith in your presence. It's our openness of heart and mind as we come before you, setting this time aside with like-minded people to grow in you, to worship you, to give what is rightly due your name in this space at this time. So we pray as we do this, that you, by your spirit, would transform us as individuals and collectively as a community this morning. In your name. Amen. Some words from Psalm 66. It says, Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. And say to God, How awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies would cringe before you. What a wonderful verse. That your enemies would cringe before you. How awesome and mighty is the God that we worship. I invite Ruth to come forward and read us uh, God's word today before Gareth uh, preaches. Today's reading is um, coming from 2 Corinthians and it's chapter 7 verses 2 to 13. Paul's joy. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you have given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so are not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not an account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are encouraged. There's uh, not many nights I have in the house being in, in a youth worker. I'm quite often out in the youth centre. Uh, however, our nights in the house, our favourite thing to watch on TV and that kind of space we get together what we'd refer to as those Sunday night dramas, so those BBC kind of line of duty kind of things, or what was it, 
Happy Valley. Was that the most recent one that was on? But my biggest issue with those shows is there's big gaps between the seasons. And you need a season recap before you go any further. The show starts and you're going, who's he? Was that actor in this one or a previous one? And that's a really important thing to have, to understand when a show starts, what's happening. And so we need to make sure we understand where we are in this story before we go any further. This is 2 Corinthians. This is Paul's second letter uh, to, the, to the Corinthians, to the people in Corinth. Uh, in, in his first letter, he writes to them and he tells them about, he, there's a unique set of challenges they're facing and he encourages them to have integrity in dealing with these challenges, to stand firm in their faith and, and to keep going. There's a bit of trouble going on, but he tells them to keep going. And then in the second letter, he, he writes to them to encourage them to transform their lives in generosity, in humility, and in weakness. But he's been quite concerned about them for quite a, for quite a time. And at different times, he has sent different people to go and check on them. So he has sent his servant, Titus, to go and check on them. Uh, and I didn't put the Bibles out this morning, I'm sorry. Apologies for that. But in, in chapter 2, we hear a little bit more about his concern for this community. Uh, and in, in chapter 2, verse 12, we see a little bit about uh, his desire and, and passion for the city of Corinth. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus here. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. He's really concerned about this community. He's panicked about them. And even when he's opened doors into new communities, he finds himself in a position of just wanting to hear from Titus about the feedback from the community in Corinth. How are the issues going? The last time he was there, he offered them some advice. Paul wasn't that well accepted. He wasn't accepted in the community. They gave him a hard time because he came and told them about the issues they were having. He rebuked them. He told them off. And they were feeling a little bit delicate. And so they pushed him away. So instead he sent Titus to go and speak to them. And then he was worried the same thing was going to happen to Titus. He was worried. He was concerned. And that's the context we find ourselves in beginning this passage in chapter 7. So before we get into chapter 7, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your servant Paul. For all that he did to communicate your word. To bring your message to teach a message of hope and joy. As we delve into this word, may we learn from you, may we seek you more in our daily life, and may our hearts come to know you more. In your name, amen. Like I said earlier, I am in youth work. Youth work's my career. We're currently in the middle of funding cycles. We're all funded April to March, so we're reaching the end of funding streams and starting new funding, which means funding application. And the most important thing to put into your applications is buzzwords. All careers have buzzwords that fit you know, your organization that you have to use, you have to fit in. And we have a couple of big buzzwords that always have to be used. Co-design. Co-design. Everything has to be co-design. What lessons are you teaching? Are they co-design? Basically means do the young people want to learn? Have they had an input into this teaching? 
It's all about participation, making sure their voices are heard. And the most important word at the minute is resilience. Are we teaching resilience to young people? Are we teaching them, this is a great term, bounce back ability, which, which quite often gets like amalgamated into just like a couple of syllables with no spaces. Bounce back ability, there's just lots of Bs in there, it's fun to say, but bounce back ability is what uh, the youth sector really looks to teach young people growing up today, to make sure that when trouble comes, they know how to respond to it. We teach a lot of health and well-being, making sure that people have good, strong mental health. And sometimes when we talk about mental health, there's an expectation that good mental health means that we're always happy. But that's not necessarily what we're trying to say. It's that we acknowledge that there are good days and that there are bad days and that we know how to respond to those tricky bad days. That when those hard, difficult times come up, that we know what to do about it that we make sure we have those necessary coping mechanisms in place to make sure we can respond to adversity in a good way. Now, what is a positive or coping mechanism? I always describe this in terms of my worst habit, which is biting my nails. Sarah might say I have worse habits, but biting my nails is my worst habit. And uh, if I want to stop biting my nails, there are good ways I can stop biting my nails or there are bad ways that I can stop biting my nails. So if I were to chop my fingers off, problem solved, I don't bite my nails anymore. However, that's not going to be a good solution for the problem that's going on, and there needs to be a better solution to fix the issues going on. We need to find a way to solve the problems. Well, Paul comes to this community of faith, and he offers them many, many solutions. He comes to them, and he says, here's how you fix your issues. Here's some advice I can give you. Here's something you can do to help mend your problems. And they don't listen. And they don't listen. And the problems grow and grow and grow until eventually Paul comes and the only thing he can do is rebuke the people. To scold them. To tell them off for the issues they've had. To tell them to fix their ways or there's going to be consequences. And this isn't Paul's desire. Paul's desire isn't to come and communicate a message of just telling people off. Instead, he comes to offer something slightly better. Uh, can we maybe put verse 8 up on the screen there, if it's there? Uh, because in verse 8, he tells us that even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. He doesn't want to come and scold people and tell them off and leave them feeling hurt and, and downheartened. He has a better message and a better plan for their life, but instead, that is the last resort that he is left with. He has tried all other positive coping mechanisms and instead resorts to this one, which might be slightly negative at times. Yet it's important to know Paul's heart in this message. His sole purpose of this rebuke was to build the people of this community up. He doesn't come for a message of telling them this is the right way to behave because this is how I behave. He doesn't take delight or joy in telling people off. Maybe sometimes you know teachers at school who just seem to take joy in telling people off because it was fun and gives some sense of power or authority. Yet Paul's heart is to see growth. It's not just to remove the evil from their life and to remove that wrongdoing. 
Instead, Paul's heart is about bringing something deeper, bringing something better to replace these bad habits that the people of Corinth have built up. He has come to remove the evil so that he can bring good growth, that he can bring joy. And he comes and he tells them, stop trying to ignore the hard things that are going on. Stop trying to hide from them. Because avoidance, hiding from the negative bad things in your life, is not a good coping mechanism. Stop trying to hide your problems. Stop trying to bury them. Stop trying to think that other people can't see them. Because God sees them, and God knows them, and they're damaging you as an individual and as a community. So what instead he, what instead he has sought to do is to have them face the hard stuff. And that's the first most really important thing this morning. Learn to face the hard stuff. Learn to face those issues. Learn how to come up against the problems and address them. Otherwise, they'll come back later on. Paul does this through rebuke, and we'll come back to rebuke later on. Because whilst this is a passage which has lots of rebuke, which has lots of negative things in it at times, the center of this passage is one of joy. This is Paul communicating joy to people. He is communicating to them joy in a number of things. And the first le level of joy that he's communicating is the reconciliation that's happened amongst these people. The joy that they have faced their issues, they have come through it, that they are stronger as a result, that they have this message of, of joy because they have come together to be loved after being told off. Patrick's at an age now where if I'm telling him off for something, he might come to me with a few tears and say, do you still love me even when you're cross? And, and that's what these, these people are knowing. They are knowing that even though they've been told off for something they've done wrong, that they are still loved. And that they have a joy in that love. A joy that knowing just because they're told off for something or they need to fix their behavior, they are still loved in that issue. When we're doing something wrong, barriers come up. Whenever our children misbehave, barriers do start to come up. You get annoyed at them for what they've done, whether they've done it out of, without knowing they were doing something wrong. Maybe they've done it out of just being bold, of pushing those boundaries a little bit further. They've been told not to do something, but yet they still go and they do it. And it just frustrates you as an individual. And barriers start to come up between the two of you. Barriers start to exist. But that love never depletes. Those barriers need addressed. When that issue comes up, there is a joy when the issue is resolved. When the problem arises at last and you fix it. There's a joy that reconciliation has happened. That people have come back together. Paul looks and expresses his joy to the city of Corinth. He expresses a joy for how they have acted for how they have come back to God and how they know that they are loved by him. There's another joy in his servant Titus. He went and he tried to mend the city of Corinth and they sent him away, but then he sent Titus instead. He sends Titus to go and do work for him. And in verse 13, further on, we didn't have 13 in the reading, but it goes on a little bit further. 
in addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I boasted of him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. Paul is proud of Titus. He is proud of his people. He is proud that things are coming together and that people are are living their lives in a way that serves the kingdom of God. He has joy in seeing Titus do God's work. And in verse 15, his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. It's a joy that the word of God is being fulfilled. That this man came needing a home, needing shelter, needing fed. And the response of the church in Corinth was to house him, was to feed him, was to clothe him. Sometimes it's very difficult to get a modern analogy just for how Titus would have arrived in the community. Titus was traveling to a city to teach them. And what he required in response was a home, was fed, was was just basic shelter, those basic needs to be met so that he could serve the community around him. Sometimes as a church, it's hard to acknowledge a time that we need to accept people, give them a home, whether they're traveling from just within their own country, further away, maybe traveling from South America, seeking a home, seeking a place to stay for for the years they serve and minister within a community. Maybe you can find a time in your life when this is something which is speaking to you. Maybe God's calling you to house a person for the year. Maybe you'll have been listening to the announcements for the past four weeks as we look to house uh, someone from the South American Mission Society to come over and do this very thing that Titus did within the community. The people in this community, they faced the hardship. They stood up and they faced the hard stuff. And the response of Paul was joy. This this resilience has led to joy. Facing the hard stuff has brought joy. And this is going to be summed up in a word often used from the front of church. Repentance. That repentance is what we're talking about today. That the core of this message today is one of repentance. We hear that word used so often but we don't always understand its full meaning outside of a church context. But this is a community of people owning up to the things they've done wrong, facing the sins they have committed, accepting that they have made mistakes, and out of that repentance comes joy. Paul goes a little bit further in here as he talks about this in verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Maybe we can leave verse 10 up for a bit just for the rest so we can have those words. Godly sorrow brings repentance. 
Some translations use the word sorrow. In NIV, sorrow is the word that's used. Uh, in other translations, they, they use different words. And one of the, the, the most commonly used words is grief. That godly grief brings repentance. Grief is something that we're all aware of in our life. We know what it's like to have lost. We know what it's like to cope with that loss. And that is the, the sorrow that we're talking about here. A deep sorrow of loss. A deep regret of the things that we have done wrong. A sorrow that affects us to the very innermost part of our being. That brings regret and shame, guilt, anger, depression. When we talk about grief within a, a social context, it, these are the layers of grief that are often talked about. Pain, guilt, anger, depression. These are the cycle, the circle of grief. Yet these are not godly emotions. These are not things that God wants in our life. When we have godly sorrow, godly grief, godly regret for the things we have done wrong, they lead us to repentance. Facing up to the hard things in our life. That leads to salvation. That leads to joy. It leaves no regret. But when we have worldly sorrow, it brings death. So what is the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? When I was 17, uh, I was doing my A-levels in Wallace. Um, I was doing four A-levels. I did math. I did physics, uh, I did moving image arts, and I did IT. And my issue with IT was that it required lots of work and coursework throughout the year. And so deadlines loomed, I panicked, I hadn't started my coursework, and coursework that had taken other people months to complete, I had 10 days to complete. And so I panicked, and in that moment, I decided to find a shortcut. And my shortcut was to find someone else's coursework online and submit it. <sighs> Wasn't my cleverest of moves, but it was a shortcut. I, I cheated to the extent that I almost got removed from the entire school for the mistake that I made. I was brought in to the head of IT's room and they said, Gareth, we need to discuss a wee problem with you. And I remember the feeling of emotion in that moment. I had a panic attack in that moment because I had been caught. I had made a mistake and I had been caught for my mistake. And the shame washed over me, the guilt, the regret, because I thought I could get away with something and I was caught. And it was only because I was caught that I started to apologize that I started to try and bargain and find a solution to the answer. Because I was caught in my lie. That was my worldly sorrow, my worldly grief. Because it wasn't repentance because I wanted to repent, but because I had been caught. Godly sorrow and godly grief is far deeper than that. It is about knowing the things in our own lives that we do that are wrong. It is about knowing the mistakes that we make. It is about being aware that we are hiding things in our life from our brothers and sisters in Christ, from our community around us, from our leaders, from our children, from our peers. We are hiding things in our heart. 
But God knows those things. And God calls us to repent. So I ask you this morning, what is it that you're hiding from God? What is it that you are hiding this morning that we need to ask God for forgiveness in, for repentance in? Because our joy in this isn't to shame you. We don't stand this morning to rebuke you, to scold you, to tell you off because we delight in it. But we delight in the fact that joy comes. I, I, I don't regret telling you this morning that we need to rebuke. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Because the joy that comes in salvation later means so much more. Joy is our goal. Earthly joy. Eternal joy. And God sees that joy in you. God sees joy in you. He delights in you the way Paul delighted in his servant Titus for the way that he served him. God delights in you this morning. He sees you. He knows you. He doesn't want you to be feeling this grief, this pain, this guilt, this anger, this depression. He wants a joy in your life. And he offers it to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you offer us, for how you look at us. May we see ourselves the way that you look at us. May we delight in ourselves the way you delight in us. Father, we seek resilience today. We seek that bounce back ability, knowing that when we come to you sorrowful, regretful, seeking forgiveness for the things we have done wrong, that you welcome us home, that you, that you put on a feast for us, that you run to greet us as we return home to you. Father, we repent of what we have done today. We turn around instead and we face you, running into your arms, knowing that you offer us earthly and more importantly, eternal joy. Now I am forever. Amen. I'm going to pray now uh, as we finish. I hear some words um, from Romans um, chapter 15. It's may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit and may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit bless 21 of us this day and forevermore.